Are you well? So good to have everybody here. Hey, um, I'm really excited about November. We're doing a, a four-week series in November. We normally do a longer series here at The Vine, but uh, we're doing four weeks in November called Reaching Out. Uh, and every week, we've got a different speaker coming in who's going to share like a kind of a one-off message on the theme, the idea of what it is to reach out beyond ourselves towards something out there um, that we desire to see happen in our lives. And, and today, I want to talk about what it is to reach out towards our future. And um, I'm, I'm really actually carrying in my spirit this morning something. Like I was pacing around earlier, like I just, you know, I, I kind of feel like I have something that I'm kind of birthing a little bit today uh, into us as a church in this area of you creating your future. I, I actually celebrated this week my fourth year anniversary here as senior pastor at the Vine, um, and that was yeah. Thank you, thank you. And if you've been coming to this church, you will know it's been a hard four years for me. <laughs> you will know that it's been one of the hardest things I've ever done. It's been a step up in terms of challenge, in terms of faith. Uh, you will know if Levine is your home church, that I've struggled over the last four years with a deep sense of insecurity, where I've, I've struggled uh, in, in the role, where I've had to be vulnerable and open and broken before you, and so many of you have been so supportive, and, and we've walked this journey together, and you will also know that over the last four years, as I kind of reflect back on what I've seen God doing in our church, if there's one word that I think sits over those four years, it's the word freedom. And, and we have felt and sensed so much as a church that what's on God's heart for us in this season that we're in is for all of us to grow in Christ Jesus and to walk into greater freedom in our lives. Just a couple of years ago, God spoke very strongly to us about the reality that the vine is to be a hospital. That this is to be a place where broken and hurting people, people just like me and you, those that deal with insecurities and all this kind of stuff, can come and actually find family together where we can come and walk with each other, journey together, and believe together that God is going to transform and renew and heal. God has been speaking so much to us about the reality that He's here by His Spirit and by His power, transforming and renewing us. And I know so much that so many of us desire for that freedom. But here's what I've seen over the last four years. And this is a constant prayer in my heart before the Lord. It's kind of one of those kind of not satisfied God prayers because I see the cries of our church saying, God, we want this, this freedom, but, but for whatever reason, we're finding it hard. We're not seeing the breakthrough that we desire to see. If I'm honest with you, I think what, what I've seen so much in the hearts of us as a church is that we long for this freedom in the future, but our present reality seems to keep us locked in the past. And as I get into the pulpit today, I'm carrying this burden on my heart to say, man, God, we want to see the breakthrough that takes us into the very things that you've been speaking to us about. And I know some of you have got great testimony in this room of the freedom that you've walked into, but I also know that there are many of us in this room where that freedom just seems to be right there, but we can't seem to reach out and grab a hold of it. I, I, I know that, that many of us have been kind of struggling with this concept that, that the freedom is there, but what's happening right now in my life seems to keep me locked in the stuff and the brokenness and the hurt and the pain of this thing that's been happening in my past. And the great question that sits on us as a church is what is it going to take for us to actually experience the very things that we long for and that we know God is speaking us to. And I wonder if this resonates with any of us in this room. 
I wonder if you've come into church today and whether you're here for the very first time or whether you come to this church regularly, but you come in and you know in your spirit, oh man, there's this thing just right there that, oh man, I'm, I'm hoping for, I'm praying for, I'm reaching out for, but, but, but what is it, God, that's going to take the breakthrough? Is this resonating with anyone? If it is, I want to share with you what I feel like is in God's heart for us as a church as we step into this new season that is ahead. Let me, let me frame this um, by giving you some context to it. Um, wh- one of the things that I hate the most here in Hong Kong is, is going to a, a cocktail party or a social event. Anybody go to cocktail parties, social events? You all need to get out an awful lot more, obviously. Um, I, I go to these social events, and, and it's, it's amazing what happens there. I get, I get in there, and you know in Hong Kong that within meeting somebody for within about 10 to 15 seconds, they're going to ask you the great Hong Kong question. They're going to say, so what do you do? And you know that that question is not because they're interested in finding out what you do. They want to put you on a hierarchy, a ladder, and try to work out, am I more important than you? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, you know this. So what do you do? Now, I hate it because I hate to tell people that I'm a pastor. <laughs> Nobody wants to meet a pastor, particularly not if they're in business in Hong Kong. When, when I tell people I'm a pastor, one of two things happens, one of two reactions. One, the first one is they think I'm a Jedi master, and they think, they think I'm immediately reading their brains and their minds, and I know all the bad things that they are doing right in that moment that they've ever thought, that they've ever done, and they're like, oh, this guy's freaking me out. Or the other reaction is they think I'm a multi-level marketing salesperson. And I'm going to spend the rest of my night trying to convert them to a hippie called Jesus. So I hate it when people ask me, what do you do? So I've actually come to tell them something different. I actually have come to tell them and answer their question literally. Like they've asked me, what do I do? Let me tell you what I actually do. Here's what I actually say. I say this. I say, I have the great privilege of being welcomed in to the very worst moments of people's lives, and I get to sit with them in it. Now, (laughs) here's the reality. Nobody needs their pastor when things are going good. None of you send me an email when you get a promotion at work. Nobody reaches out to their pastor when they get a salary increase. Nobody invites their pastor on a holiday to Bali. Why is that not the case? (laughs) But when life is tough, when things are hard, when things are broken, in the worst moments of life, I get the emails. And I, it's okay, because I count it one of the greatest privileges to sit with you in the worst moments of life. That's why I do what I do. In the last four years, I was reflecting back this week, in the last four years, I have sat with a grieving mother as she's held her dead baby in her arms. I have have rushed out of my house at three in the morning for somebody in our congregation who's just discovered that her husband is cheating on her. I have sat with a family who are trying to deal with the horrible reality that their teenage daughter has committed suicide the very worst moments of life. And when you spend enough time with human beings in the very worst moments of life, you actually learn something about the human race. You actually learn something about Christianity and being of faith. 
And, I, and as I've sat with Christians in these worst moments, something has, has really fascinated me, not just over the last four years here at the Vine as senior pastor, but over the last 20 or so years of being a, a minister uh, in the church. What I've noticed is this. It fascinates me that some Christians are able to face the very worst moments in life and somehow in the future are able to then go and flourish once again. Whereas some other Christians face the very worst moments of life and never seem to be able to overcome them. And what I've wrestled with in the last four years is, what is it, God, that makes the difference here? What is it, God, that allows some people, some Christians, to face the worst moments, the deep disruptions of life and move beyond them? And what is it that that for others who are Christian, they meet these deep disruptions in life and they never seem to overcome them? What's the difference, God? Because these are both Christians, so it's not Jesus What is the difference between these two people? Let me personalize it for you this morning. What is going to be the difference for you to not just long for freedom in your future, but actually to experience it? That's what I want to talk about here this morning. I think part of the answer is found in the direction upon which you're living your life. Let me explain this. In any one moment of your life, there are three paradigms that are impacting you. Your past, your present, and your future. And those three things are always at work. And every single one of us, at every moment in life, we're moving into our future. That's the great thing about life. And and, and the question is, when you look at these paradigms that are involved in your life, which one of these paradigms has the greatest influence upon your current present that moves you into the future? And what I've come to see is that for most of us in the human race, but also most of us in the Christian faith, we walk into our future facing backwards. Let me explain this. You're walking into your future facing your past. Now, if you do that, if you literally think about what it is to walk into the future facing your past, you're not quite sure what you're going to hit in your future. But your focus, if you will, your primary paradigm is what's happened in your past. And we allow our past to be the primary thing that shapes our present and brings us into the future. Does that make sense? Now, number one, don't freak out. I'm not saying the past is bad. The past is important. We, we all know that we learn and we grow from the past. We all know that our, our, our brokenness in the past can teach us much today. We all know that sometimes the failures we go through actually make us the strength of today. We know the past is important. Not only that, but Scripture speaks about the importance of the past. I love the times in the Old Testament where the Israelites create these memorial stones. Because they're like, we don't want to forget what it is that God has done in this moment. In fact, around the Christian faith, the idea of reflecting back, particularly for us in the New Testament church, back to the cross, gives us great hope for our present and our future. The past is not bad. But here's the thing that I think we get wrong. As Christians, somehow, we've begun to think that the past is the primary paradigm that shapes our future. But I don't see that in Scripture. In fact, I think the Bible gives us a different picture. I think the Bible invites us into a countercultural relationship where we agree and understand what the past is, where we learn from it and we are shaped by it to some degree, yes, but we say the primary paradigm that's going to shape my present reality is not some brokenness in the past, it's God's Word in the future. So, So what we do as Christians is we learn from the past, but we look to the future. 
I want us as a church to walk into our futures facing forwards. And the difference that I've seen for those Christians who face the very worst moments in life and never seem to overcome them, are, are they're walking into their future facing backwards. But, but those Christians that are able to, to see those worst moments, to walk through those worst moments, to ex experience them and yet overcome them, they've made a decision to say, man, that, that's important in my life. I'll put a memorial stone down there. That's significant. It's important. But that is not going to be the primary thing that will define me going forward. The primary thing that will define me will be the word and the promise and the hope and the glory of God. This is why we have revelation in our Bible. You ever thought about that? See, if our God wants us to walk into the future facing backwards, he never would have given us revelation. We just would have finished with Acts. Get on with it. What God does in the book of Revelation is he does this. He takes a big curtain on the end of the world and he goes... Look at this. This is how things end. This is what it's going to be like. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation coming together to worship and glorify Jesus. You want to talk about racism? At the end of all things, all people of all colors and race and language are going to come together and worship. So if that's the case, then I want to live today on behalf of that story, not the story of my past. We, we've... We, we've made mistakes in our past. And if we allow that to be the primary paradigm, that then shapes who we are. To, no, we go forwards as Christians. And we say, this is what's going to shape us. Walk forwards, church, into your future. Now, if I was to ask you this morning, what is the most spiritual activity you can engage in? I wonder what you would say to me. Think about that for a second. What's the most spiritual activity you can engage in. Some of you, if you're like Gemma Stevens, would say, well, prayer, obviously. Prayer is the most important, most spiritual, most sacred thing that we can do because we commune with God. Some of you in this room, if you're like John Pettigrew, you would say, well, worship, obviously. <laughs> worship is by far the most spiritual thing we ever do. We get to not just commune with God, we get to experience God. Or, or maybe if you're like Jim McInnes, you might say, well, reading the Bible, of course, and studying God's Word and preaching and teaching, that's the most important thing. That's the most spiritual activity that we can do. Or, or maybe if you're like Louise Berry, you might stand here and say, well, the most spiritual thing you can do is to be in community together, because we aren't a church by an institution. We are church together. Amen? Amen. Now, are you with me? What, what's your thing that you think is the most spiritual activity that you do? All of those things that I've just mentioned are important. They're all very spiritual, and I hope that we all do all of them. But think about this. There is one thing that you have to do before you pray, before you worship, before you read God's Word, before you gather as God's people in community. There's one thing you have to do before all of those things, and it is to choose to do them. You actually have to make the choice to pray or to worship, or to gather together as a community of people. We have to make that choice. So think about it this way. Your ability to choose is the most spiritual activity you will ever engage in. Have you ever thought about that? Your ability to choose. Because everything that you do in life is shaped by a choice that you make. As God is at work in you, you choose to respond. You choose to embrace it or to defend it or to push it away. 
When you think about what it is to walk into your future, you make a choice what it is that's going to shape that future. And what I've come to see in these four years of leading this church is those that really go on to thrive somehow, despite how hard the past has been, despite how loud the past has spoken to them, they've made a choice to believe something else. I want to call us to the spiritual activity of choosing our future, of creating it. We serve the most creative God there is. Amen? Amen. And I believe that He is creative not just at the beginning of all things. Every single moment of every single day, the fact that I even am able to take a breath is the result of a creative God who loves me. And as I think about what it is to move into my future, I want to be aligned to this idea that my choices might honor and glorify and respect the creativity of a God who so deeply loves me. Now, I wonder if you've also ever noticed that some of the most significant moments of Scripture, some of the most amazing stories, some of the things that we are so familiar with in God's Word are so often moments of decision and choice. I wonder if you ever reflected on that, that actually not only that, but most of the major moments of Israel's history in the Old Testament are moments where God specifically drives His people into a place of decision, where, where they actually have to decide if they're going to step out in faith or if they're going to embrace fear. A moment where they actually have to decide if they're going to continue their families and their generations or they're going to give up. A moment where they actually have to make a decision. And it's almost like God is standing over them in those times. And he's saying, I have brought you to this place where you get to choose. I love the way that Moses puts it one day. He goes this, Israel, you right today have a choice. You can either choose life or choose death. Choose today what is right for you. But for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Oh, man, I'm sorry. I'm a little bit fiery today. Sorry. I'm sweating. I'm sweating. I need like, I've never, I've, I've never needed like a towel. You know what I mean? Like I feel, I feel like I need a towel. Anyway, I want to read to you a passage out of the Exodus story that shows us an example of this choice. And I think this will be helpful for some of you today. Exodus 14 verse 10 says this. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no, uh, not enough graves in Egypt that you were to bring us to this desert to die? What, what have you done to us by bringing us here and bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. By the way, they never said that. <laughs> this is like, you know, when you're in a place of great fear and decision, sometimes you actually reinterpret the past, right? They didn't actually say, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. They said, God set us free from the Egyptians. But anyway, then it says this, it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in this desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance that the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea onto dry ground. This is a beautiful moment in Israel's history. One of the most significant. 
Let me just backtrack on context a bit so you can carry forward the story. Uh, we know that Moses uh, is shown um, by God through a burning bush, that God appears in a burning bush and calls Moses whilst he's out in the desert. And he calls him to basically an intimate moment with him and says, I want you to go now back to Egypt. I've heard the Israelites. I've heard they're crying out because of their slave masters. I want to send you back there and I want you to free them. Go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And although Moses resists and fights back a little bit, he he ends up going back to Egypt. He says to Pharaoh, let my people go. And and God hardens Pharaoh's heart so that Pharaoh fights it and and resists. And then God brings the plagues upon Egypt so bad, so many building up, that eventually Pharaoh does. He lets Israel go. He releases them. He breaks their chains. He sends them off into a new future. And just when the Israelites thought that they were entering into that new future of freedom that had been promised to them, this moment happens. That they're already free from Egypt and they're walking out in the desert trying to escape and get as far away from Egypt as possible. And guess what happens? Right at the beginning of this chapter, in chapter 14, God shows up again and he hardens Pharaoh's heart again. And he hardens Pharaoh's heart so that the Egyptians would chase after the Israelites. I want you to notice what God does here because this is quite interesting and it's very important when we think about our context. God actually sends the Egyptians back after the Israelites. It's almost like God is saying, hang on a sec, Israelites, you're not quite ready for your freedom just yet. It's right there, it's coming, but there's one more thing that needs to take place first. And, And here are the Israelites and they are in a really difficult situation. Because they've traveled away from Egypt as far as they can, and they've come to the Red Sea, this big expanse of water that they cannot cross. And so in front of them is the Red Sea, and behind them right there is the Egyptian armies marching towards them. Think of it this way. In front of them are the Egyptian armies marching to them, kind of representing their past. And right there over the seas, they can see some land that represents their future. They're caught in the middle between their past and their future. Is this making sense? And they're right there, and they're wondering what's going to happen next. It's almost like God is saying, Israel, you need to have this experience before you can embrace your freedom. And here's your experience. Are you going to choose to be consumed by your past, or are you going to choose to create your future? So Israel are caught here in this moment. And they look up, as it's described to us, and they see their past approaching them. Here's what it says. Here's how they respond to that. It says this in verse 11. Sorry, in verse 10. They were terrified and they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us here to die? I love that. When you get fearful, sarcasm often comes out. And so here's Israel, terrified, and they get sarcastic. They're like, hey, well, there are not enough graves over there that you wanted to die here, you know. They're so afraid. And then they say this. They say, what have you done to us? Isn't this interesting? There's this moment where they're trapped in this past approaching in the idea of their future ahead and they're terrified. Fear grips hold of them. And here's their response. We're going to die in this moment. See, the first thing you need to know is I think one of the reasons why we're never able to sometimes experience our freedom, only long for it, is because of fear. And fear will always tell you that you have no future. It's really important. Fear will always tell you that you have no future. 
And here are the Israelites with the great promise of freedom that God has given them. They know the might of God because they've just seen the ten plagues. And here they are in this moment, and they go, well, I guess this bit here is the end. They're so terrified that their fear convinces them that everything is going to stop here. What they don't realize is that this was not a finish point for them. This was just the beginning. What they don't realize is that in a moment, Moses is going to raise his staff, stretch out his hands, and the most incredible moment of Israel's history is about to happen. Do you know, even to this day in Judaism, the one event that they look back on with most glory of God to is is this exodus moment of the parting of the Red Sea. The Jewish people look back to that and go, man, wasn't God awesome in that moment? And here's the reality. Israel is just before that moment, and they think it's the end. Think about this. The moment that is going to mark them most as a nation is just there, and they think it's all over. And that's a word in season for some of you in this room. You, you, because of fear, because of the loudness of your past in front of you, and because of the fear that that creates in your heart, you actually think that you're in a position in your life where it's all over, when actually God looks over you and He says, you need to be in this moment right now because it's going to be the making of you as a person. That there is something that needs to happen in this moment here that actually is going to make you able to conquer the freedom that's coming ahead of you. There is a faith rising up in you right now that will enable you to be an overcomer in all the things ahead of you. You have to be in this moment right now. It's, it's funny, I think so often when we pray, we want God's outcomes without God's process. The Israelites had long cried out and called out, for God's freedom. They had long called out for the, for the slavery to finish. They had long called out with this idea that in the future they might be set free, but they weren't necessarily willing to commit to the process that will get them there. And remember, right at the beginning of this chapter, God hardens the heart of Pharaoh for them to chase out. This is part of that process. See, freedom takes responsibilities. Freedom will take you overcoming something. God is not just going to lay it out on some platter for you. There is sometimes the need for us to actually make a choice. Will I be consumed by my past or will I create my future? And then notice what they say next. And this is so key. He says this. They say, they say to Moses, they say, it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die here. Can you, can you notice this? When fear is such a part of our present dynamic, when we move in fear so much and not faith, we always end up actually desiring the slavery than we do the freedom. They actually look back here and they say, it would have been better for us to remain in Egypt. I would rather be a slave there than to finish here. And what they don't realize is actually God is about to release them into something incredibly great as they make a choice to respond to that. But really what they want to do in their fear is just go back to how it's always been. It's interesting, you see, even in our brokenness, there's a comfort there. It's, we're used to it. We know what that's like. You know what's scary is the future. The future is scary because it's unknown. The future is scary because it's kind of out there. The future is scary because it requires faith. It doesn't require faith for you to submit yourself to slavery requires faith for you to step into an unknown future. And that's scary. It's a hard thing to do. This is a word in season for some people here. 
Have you ever wondered why you're still in the relationship that you're in that you know is bad? Have you ever wondered? I think some of you are in a really bad relationship because you're so afraid of being alone that you'd rather choose to be in that bad relationship than go into an uncertain future without it. Some of you are in a job that you absolutely hate and it's killing you. The hours, the stress, the pressure. You're in a job that you hate but you're so afraid of a future without that job and how you would provide for your family that you'd rather stay in a job that's killing you than enter into an uncertain future without it. So often, we end up going backwards simply because we find security there rather than stepping out of the boat if we bring the analogy of the Peter on the water and walking on that water into something else. I think that's going to be one of the hardest things for us. It's a choice, my friends. This is the thing, you see, I think we so often end up kind of rather kind of accepting the safety and the security of the the past that holds us captive rather than embracing the mystery and uncertainty of the future that will actually set us free. Think about that for a sec. Is that you? Would you really, if you're honest with yourself, say, I'd rather accept the safety and security of a past that holds me captive than the mystery and uncertainty of a future that I know could set me free. This is where Israel is. Is this connecting for anyone? So let me show you, let me show you what then happens. How do we then move past this? How do we realize we're in a moment of decision our lives, we want to move into the future? Here's what Moses says. And Moses said this to the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance that the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you're you're never going to see them again. For the Lord will fight for you. Just be still. I love this idea of Moses saying to his people, be still. It it, it Actually, on the surface, it doesn't seem to make sense, does it? Because they are still. They don't want to go forward. (laughs) So why is Moses telling a people who are still to be still? When, When we see the idea of being still in the rest of Scripture, when we talk about it in Hong Kong, it's like, oh man, my life's so busy. Oh, I'm pushing on so much. I have to go, 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 go. I'm so stressed. Oh, I want to be still. I want to relax. I want to slow down, right? That's how we often think of it. These people are not going anywhere. And Moses says, be still. What's he saying? The reason why he's telling them to be still is because they're getting ready to move backwards. They're not, they're not trying to go forwards right now, but they are thinking, we want to go backwards. In other words, they're going to move into their future facing backwards. And, and here's Moses. He's like, no, be still. Don't do it. Don't go back. If I, was to, if I was to interpret Moses, I'd put it this way. He was saying this, every time that you feel like returning to the bad thing of the past, be still. Every time you want to retreat, be still. Every time that you want that paradigm to be your primary paradigm, be still. And know that the Lord is fighting for you. It's, it's almost like Moses is saying, come on church, say no to your past. Don't go back there. You know, the great glory of the Christian faith is that we don't go back to Genesis 1 and 2. We go forward to Revelation 21 and 22. We're, we're in a trajectory where we are to be still if we think we should go back. And, and now, here's the crazy thing. Moses, I think, says something very powerful to them. Be still, don't go back. And then God comes and contradicts him. He doesn't really, but anyway, we'll see. He says this. He says, And the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. 
raise your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea onto dry ground. Moses says, say no to your past. Jesus, God says, say yes to your future. Both are important. Some of you are not moving into the freedom in your future right now because you haven't said no to your past yet. Saying no to our past is part of the journey, but it's not the only journey. Because then God shows up and says, okay, Moses, good job. You said no to your past. Now you need to tell them to say yes to their future. And here's how he does it. I love this. God doesn't just magically part the sea. He doesn't go, okay, I I see you guys are in a tough place. I see fear is rising up. I see you're going to think about saying no to your past. Don't worry, I've got the rest of it. I'll open you up and off you go. He says, the sea will not part unless you raise your staff and stretch out your hand. In other words, Moses, I want you to demonstrate to the people of God that there is a choice that they need to make. I'm not just going to subtly, magically do it. As you raise your staff, as you stretch out your hand in a prophetic act of faith, watch what I'm about to do. Some of you in this room, not only do you need to say no to your past, but you need to raise up your staff and stretch out your hand towards the future. You need to say no to that and yes to this. Your past is not the model upon which you are to build your future. That's not the God that we serve. You know the God that we serve? Our God is a serve. The God that we serve is this, that when God restores, he recreates. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Even that stuff that is hurting and broken and and bad in our past, when that stuff is gathered up in God's heart, he doesn't just kind of go, okay, let me make a a better version of the old car. Let me just paint it up a little bit. No, he recreates. The process of God's restoration, which is dealing with the stuff in the past, is new creation. This is how Paul speaks of it. He says, if you are in Christ Jesus, guess what? You're a new creation. You're not just a buffed up version of the old thing. You're a new thing. The old is gone, the new has come. This is the God we serve. Our our Jesus is a new creator. Isn't that a beautiful thing? So no matter what it is that you're struggling with in life, no matter what is the brokenness that you have, that cannot, that should not, that will not be the loudest voice that will shape you for the future because you serve a God who creates. See, See, I want to put it as strongly as this, and this will sound strong, but let me put it like this. I think every single time, that we choose our current situation as the primary thing that models our future situation, we've actually lost something of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Because following Jesus is to follow a creative God. And he's the one who's empowered us to have this beautiful spiritual activity of choice where we say no to this and yes to this. Where we lift up our staff, we stretch out our hand, and we say, I want the future story to define this current story. So raise up your staff, fine church. Stretch out your hand, fine church. And let's believe together that what is ahead is far better than what's been in the past. We honor the past. We recognize it. We, we, we are thankful for it. We put out those memorial stones. We don't ignore it or disregard it. But the one thing that should define your next step is not that. It is this. Some of you in this room, what you're really asking for is for God to change your past, when actually what God wants for you is to shape your future. May we believe and worship and pray for a God 
who allows us to shift and to turn and to walk into our futures forward. God wants you to shape your future and to make the choice today that it is your future that defines you, not your past. Would you stand with me? I want to pray for you. I wonder whether you could open your hands with me and just bow your head. Holy Spirit, thank you. We don't pray for you to come now because you've been here the whole service. So we just say thank you. Thank you that you are here. Thank you that in this little part of the world you decided to show up this morning. Thank you that you welcome us into your presence. Father, we stand together as a church today recognizing that for many of us, we're walking into our futures backwards. And that somehow that's become the primary context of which we think our future should be shaped. And Father, I'm thankful that these people are in the room today because I believe you've got a new way. And I believe in this moment, by your Spirit, you're about to, new, to recreate. And that, Father, you are about to release a generation of people that now would say, you know what, I'm going to walk into my future facing forwards. I'm going to allow the promises of God, the Word of God, the things that I see in Scripture, the, the stuff that Revelation speaks of, the reality of the end of all things, that is going to be the primary paradigm that is going to shape and mold who I am today. Father, for those of us in this room where we struggle with fear, Lord, I, I, I would suggest that's all of us. Lord. I know I do. Lord, where that fear has caused us to think that we're at an end when you're looking down and saying, no, 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 this is the making of you. Father, for those of us in this room where fear is causing us to say, you know, I'd rather have the slavery. For those of us in this room where fear has a loud voice, we pray right now that perfect love casts out all fear. And I want to pray for the love of God, the love of Jesus to flow over anyone in this room that right now sees fear as a primary context in their life. If that's you, just have your hands open and ask now for the love of God to begin to flow for you. The Lord has not brought you to a place where it'll be your end point. The Lord has brought you to a place where today you get to make a decision. Will I choose death or will I choose life? I know what me and my household are gonna choose. And as you stand here today, I believe that choice is also before you. Your most beautiful spiritual activity is to choose. To say that I will align myself to God's word and his promises. That I will choose the future over the past. And I believe that those of you who are longing for freedom, who are longing for breakthrough and are wondering why has this not come through, what the Lord would say to you today is, as much as I love your past and care for it, I want you to begin to build your future, shape your future, think about your future. For not only am I a creative God, but I have created you in my image. You are also a creative, redeemed person. You are the image of God in this world and you have the ability to shape something now that speaks of the glory of what I will do in the future. Raise up your staff. Stretch out your hand, church. And believe that God has ahead of you something that is far greater than what has been behind you. And Father, as we do this, Lord, we ask for your spirit and your presence to be our every moment guide. Lord, I pray for the Red Seas that you're parting now. 
Lord, it's not us that parts the sea. Lord, what you call us to is not, it's not the ability to part seas. That's your job, and we're so grateful for it. Your word says you're able to do abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. Lord, what you call us to is a partnership. You call us to the, the, the staff raising and the hand extending. But the miracle is your miracle. And because it's your miracle, Lord, I believe that in this room are 650, 750 glorified testimonies that are rising up. Not of what we have done, but what the Lord has done. And Father, I pray, Lord, I pray that as your people are obedient, and as your people make the choice to raise the staff and stretch out their hands, you would be glorified in a way in this church that you have never been done before. And we're thankful that it's greater what is ahead than what is a past. In Jesus' name, everyone says.